Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this interview today is with Leslie Margarita, who is a great example of someone constantly working who doesn't necessarily need to spend all their time in New York City, especially on Broadway. She's from the West Coast, kind of prefers the West Coast, skipped over New York to make a West End debut, which earned her an Olivier Award and then came to Broadway. So just kind of all over the place and always working. We get into this a little bit in the interview, but she has this love for ice dancing. She has this little hidden talent of uh, building on her her young life as almost a professional uh, ice skater, I guess, and now is doing ice dancing. She needs something as a hobby, as like this mental respite that is has that has nothing to do with that her industry and gosh, her eyes light up when she talks about it. Um, and of course we talk about performing and theater, but this episode, it, it gets into mental health a lot. She had a really hard time after, after kind of her big break at the age of 18 or 19, I think she said, um, where she got on fame, fame LA. She was literally a teenager thrust into the spotlight, national TV. And then after that, it was just kind of like, oh, um, my career isn't laid out for me and I'm not being treated like I thought I would be now. I, and she had she went, kind of went to a dark place and we get into that especially. It was a really, really great conversation. So Leslie, if you're listening, thank you for your honesty. I really enjoyed it. Before we get into it though, as always, please visit me at ttp.fm to see everything online, listen to past episodes. You can also show your support for the podcast via ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patrons of a certain level get to get their questions in ahead of time and get them as part of the interview. So you can actually help shape the conversation a little bit among many, many other tiers of amazing things. So everybody now, please enjoy this episode with Leslie Margarita. Here you go, one, two, three... This Olivier Award-winning actress made her Broadway debut in Matilda in 2013 after a successful run on the West End in Zorro, which earned her the aforementioned award. She was recently in Dames at Sea here on Broadway, but made a big splash in the entertainment scene back in 1997 in the TV show <gasps> Fame LA. Oh, baby Les. Oh. <laughs> About to open Emoji Land off Broadway as the princess. Mm-hmm. Leslie Margarita, welcome to the theater podcast. Thanks. Oh my gosh, 97. Yeah, that was, was a long time ago. Teen on TV. That was 22 years ago. Yeah. I was Te- like a baby, a teenager. Crazy. Were you a teenager at the time? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, well, talk to me about 
baby Leslie. Mm-hmm. You grew up in California. I grew up in California. Yeah, Northern California. And I grew up on a cattle ranch. Crazy, I know, right? Grew up on a cattle ranch. Uh-huh. And so, like, can you do a lasso? I did. Uh, no, I did not. I just did shows with the cows. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that sounds like, like an only child thing to do. Well, are you an only my, child? No, I'm the youngest of oh, four, yes. and my three older sisters are much older. So I was uh, clearly a mistake. Um, and so I was kind <laughs> of an, an only child, and so I just would like put on shows because I was always already dancing and stuff at that age. Um, and I started doing musicals at like eight. The touring company of Annie was coming through. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to go and audition. And my dad went and got me like the the sign-up sheet. And, and my parents were like, just, you know, there's going to be 500 little girls there. And there were with like ringlets. And I was just in my jeans from from the ranch. And um, I, ended up, I ended up getting one of the orphans. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> so, okay. Well, mm-hmm. what made you decide to want to audition in the first place? I, my dance teacher, my ballet teacher ran like the community theater. So you're already taking dance at that point? I was taking dance since I was four because they Hmm. thought, um, now I think it's like ADD, but they didn't know what, (laughs) I was just hyper (laughs) and my mom danced. And so they put me in classes and I loved it. And then I just hadn't like sung and I just decided to show up and sang happy birthday and still have the same voice that I did then. (laughs) Happy Just loud, belting, yeah, <laughs> Annie voice. <laughs> so, okay, in in the ensemble then, and mm-hmm. then, so that was eight, then what What was after that? And you continued to dance, or you, did you, like, oh, yeah. start to pull I, in acting as well? Um, but I did community theater. Like, you know, that that was kind of like a short gig of, of local stuff, and then I, I kept doing community theater, um, I, and I played Annie everywhere. I did the, the big three, Annie mm-hmm. and Dorothy and Peter Pan before my boobs. And uh, oh, you were Peter Pan. I was Peter Pan. Oh yeah, yeah I was okay. always the lead. I mean, let's let's be clear. <laughs> I was always the lead. <laughs> so sad. Uh, and I just kept doing it and and danced. And then um, in high school, was like on my dance team and and still doing theater and doing like uh, semi professional mm-hmm. theater. But I really wanted to stay in high school. Um, like there was a chance. Like I remember my. Maybe could have done the Mickey Mouse Club, and so like things would come up, and my oh. mom would be like, "You know what? Let's just stay in stay in high school, have regular high school." And then I ended up working at theme parks. I, I sang and danced at, at Great America all during high school, which was awesome and like the best training. Well, you did Disneyland too, right? Yeah. So my huge goal, one of the reasons why I stayed in California, is I'm a Disney freak. I wanted to do the shows at Disneyland. That was the goal. So. Before I even went down to LA, I started auditioning for them when I was like 16. And they said when you they had a great program then where they would kind of like keep an eye on you and and mm. you know, kind of like a grooming program. I don't think they do it anymore. But um and I uh only wanted to do the shows down there, so I chose UCLA and I was not a theater major. Um I did musicals at UCLA, but I wanted to work at Disneyland, so I started doing the shows at Disneyland. And then very soon after I got to school, I booked Fame LA. <laughs> and then left school, and then I went back later. But oh, you finished? You went back and finished? Much later, yeah. yeah. 
Well, okay, so so fame, you were then 19, 18? Yeah, something. No, I don't want people to do it. Oh, no, no, don't do the math. <laughs> but yes, around there. Well, you said you were in college. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I had like a manager. I, it was so funny, like I'm rambling, but I had also been cast in the Los Angeles Company of Rent as the Maureen cover. Mm-hmm. And I booked Fame LA. It was like I had done a television pilot for Kenny Ortega, who directs High School Musical and does now all the Descendants movies. And I had done a TV pilot for him, and he was the one who was directing the new Fame. And so that's kind of how I got into it. It was a total fluke that I had just never done television, really, um, that I got this series. And I was like, oh, my God, I just booked Rent, and now I— I, it was like the best choice as a young person that you could have. And then, you know, after that, things don't always, aren't always that easy. Well, did is, you think when you booked it, we like, this is it. I like totally, my, my career is here now. hundred percent. hundred percent. We did 22 episodes and then it was canceled and nobody watched it and it was terrible. <laughs> um, and I learned a ton on that set. But then right after that, I went, back to working at Universal and Disneyland. Really? Yep. Went right back to it. Did people come and, and rec- did they recognize you from the show? No. Or, no? No. 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 Because <laughs> I've, I've talked to some people who are like, well, once you get to like, okay, I've been a principal, and then my show gets canceled, and then like you can't go wait tables again because there's, sure you can. there's like the image you have to maintain. Sure. That's in your head, though. I mean, and, and, and it's difficult. And I always like to talk about this stuff, but... um. You know, there was a a big thing last year about the guy that was on the Cosby show and someone saw him working at Trader Joe's and they kind of shamed him and he Um, was like... Malcolm Jamal Warner? No. no. Is that? No. Someone else. Bill Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Working at Trader Joe's. (laughs) I think because it happened to me at such a young age, um, I didn't really know. Like, to me, I've always thought work is work is work is work is work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved performing at theme parks. I loved it. It was my best friends, you know, I mean, are still my friends. I mean, and I was there with Eden Espinoza and Stephanie Block and Wayne Brady and just people that are still my friends that are killing it now. Mm -hmm. And that was the best job you could have in Los Angeles. You did not have to wait tables. You could go and do a show every day Mm -hmm. if you were a full-time member and you had um, health benefits. Or six shows a day. Or six shows a day. Or... 12. Um, I worked at Bush Gardens. I did 10 shows a day yep. in the summer and it was hell, yep. but I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. And it really like instilled in me a work ethic that is not, I think it's hard to find now. I don't call out of shows. I don't like, and I, you can always tell like it's very old school, but those shows really taught me how to pace myself and get through. And, and it, I don't know, it just like, it really, and, and gave me this sense of community so I think that's why now I'm like, work is work wherever you get it. Mm-hmm. And just because I was on a TV show doesn't mean, and it certainly did not mean I was getting another one anytime soon. I continued to work in TV, but it was sporadic for a you while. A, you have a lot of credits, though. Yeah, I mean, now, you know, now, but but right after Fame, it was, I, I expected it to just... Mm-hmm. Be like boom, boom, boom! Now I'm going to be a TV star, and that did not happen at all. Well, what what was part of that reality check? Was it that you were being seen for parts 
different than what you that you felt you were right for, or was it you weren't being seen at all, or you know what was that process? You know, and I talk about this with young performers a lot, and I don't want to get too deep, but that television show, I had such um, high self-esteem as as a teenager. That television show really kind of knocked me for a loop, and I think I was I had to go through it. I I was cast as pretty much the Doris Vinsecker role, the not pretty, not skinny. I was the comedian, mm-hmm. the actor who like sang and danced, but was like not the pretty one on the show, and and it really did a number on me, like my self esteem. And I think at that age, you don't really know what you are, and there was no YouTube, there was no you know. It's a totally different world now. Mm-hmm. But the years after that was kind of like a, a finding out who I was by doing regional theater and by doing theme parks and things. And because I didn't really know what roles I would play. I had just been told by this one company that I was not the pretty one and not the 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 one that was going to get all the leads on television. And that's not, you know, not the case. But I think when you're that young and things happen to you that easily, you're you're impressionable anyway. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, it was a it was a weird time, but I really found myself through LA theater then because mm-hmm. that's that's what I did. Besides those theme parks, I did tons of regional theater in Los Angeles and wanted to come to New York. Oh, Broadway was always the dream, just didn't end up happening till so much later. Right. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, teenager. I mean, I had I still have bad skin, but like I had really <laughs> bad skin back then, and I, I was like, everyone's like, "Oh, it's not bad, or whatever." But the way that you see yourself mm-hmm. is always—I mean, I can say this now as a tw- as a thirty-nine, twenty-nine-year-old, as a thirty-nine-year-old, um, yeah, as a nineteen-year-old, whatever. I don't know how old I am. As a thirty-nine-year-old, I can look back and say how you see yourself is way worse than totally. how everybody else sees yeah. you. Yeah, and. Now, in this business, too, you may have been cast. I mean, like, I can make myself look ugly. I can do an ugly face. Right. I don't think I'm the most attractive person in the world. I don't, you know, I am who I am. Right. Right. And that's all you can be. <laughs> um, certain people get other, get opportunities because of how they look. Some people get opportunities mm-hmm. because of their talent and their intelligence. And it's all, like, this whole business is a freaking crapshoot. Oh, it's it's a total crapshoot. It's all luck and and it just is you have to have a really thick skin and I think I I luckily came out of it on the other side. Um I you know, I I worry about these these kids at 17-18 that have all this stuff happening to them. Even the kids on on Broadway, mm-hmm. uh, I feel very um protective of them that they um cuz I think it's difficult. It's it's and Matilda was so great about how they treated the kids and the kids didn't stage door and we didn't weren't allowed to talk to them about the show. They couldn't do the stage door. No, because it was such a great thing because you come out of a show and you're signing autographs yeah. and when that ends you're just back at school and no one's asking for your autograph. It's a really hard thing to navigate as a kid. And so I I loved that. I loved that that they did their show. We were we did not talk to them about show business or our show. Were you specifically instructed not to? Yes. Talk to them about their day. Because Just being if you, a normal kid. Because if you tell an eight-year-old, great show tonight, they're going to go, well, what was wrong with my show last night? And that, and <laughs> an that, eight-year-old. They much, will. A lot of people. A, most people will. I do. 
yeah. you know, but I'm totally insecure. But but as an eight-year-old, I think they were just awesome about that. And and I loved that kind of approach to it. And it was very much how I grew up. My parents were like, great, you know, go cheerleading, go ice skating, like do other stuff. And that was really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it has helped. We'll see in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I really want to get on the 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 insecurity therapeutic side of this um, because I love that shit. I have been I've been in therapy now for a year and a half, and it's, it's great. It didn't come soon enough, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but to make your publicist happy, let's talk about Emoji Land for a oh, second. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh yeah, that. No, I um, love. I mean, like on Twitter, I'm always I always say like theater kids. You ran to Leslie wants you to know because I feel like. There's so much I wish that someone had told me about the poop side of the business. (laughs) You know, that it's not all, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, like, Emoji Land now is, it's opening off Broadway. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was, (laughs) there was a workshop, Nymph, is that called a workshop? No. It's just, so it's a Nymph performance. It depends. Nymph, which is awesome, um, the New York Musical Theater Festival? No. Mm-hmm. New York. Yeah. Yeah. New, New York Musical Festival. Festival. Yeah. Um, is, Nymphed. Yeah. That's Nymph. Um, is this rad, rad festival every summer. And they're um, brand new writers and mm-hmm. new creators. And sometimes there are workshops. But the past three summers, I guess, I've done like a full production. Um, and Emoji Land was one of them. And, you know, they're... Sometimes you do shows and you're like, oh, good first effort. Go back and work on it wherever you're from. And come back, you know, <laughs> but Emoji Land, we did it and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And the thing that I loved about it most was um, Tom Caruso, who is the director, brought it to me um, and he goes, okay, no, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what the title is and and just hold withhold judgment. And he said, Emoji Land. And I was like, Okay. We're actively withholding judgment, mm-hmm. yes. And then you read it and and it's just genius and brilliant. And so what I'm what I love about it is that people I think will have this preconceived notion of like, oh, cute and fluffy, whatever. And I cannot wait for them to see it. I can't wait. And you're in it with Josh Lehman, Ugh, who is come on. just a comedic genius. We if you see Emoji Land, people listening to this you will see us crack up because I did not get through a single performance without cracking up. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. I just, he makes me laugh so hard. And he improvises well, so they, much. And they let us play yeah. on stage and I, I just laugh. And that's why when this came up, I was like, oh, no brainer, no brainer. Josh has to do it with me. <laughs> so, um, and, and the cast that they've gotten is incredible and the designers. And I'm really, really excited for Keith and Laura and Keith and Laura who wrote it um, for people to see their work. Cause it was really special at Nymph, but now they've got, you know, a, a chance to really do it. So I brought it, I brought up the show because we should, but yes. um, also as a segue into talking about the poop side of the business, <laughs> um, no pun intended, with the poop emoji. Uh-huh. Um, you're not the age at which you did Fame LA. Correct. Yet, okay, so with two Broadway credits, but you're still a very successful working actress. Yes. So, I think. 
So my point is that it's not just you get a Broadway show and then all of a sudden the sky, the sky opens up and it rains sunshine and rainbows. You still have to work your ass oh, off. Oh, you're always, always having to prove yourself, you know, because in Los Angeles, I played every kind of role and on and a lot of TV stuff I do is is dramatic work. Um, and then you come and do Matilda and then I followed that up with Dames at Sea. Mm-hmm. And then people just think, oh, well, she's just the big kind of broad, funny stuff. So you're constantly having to prove yourself doing smaller things or regional theater. Um, yeah, you don't you don't automatically get Broadway shows. And and I think kids, when they walk around Pearl Studios and they see all of us waiting, you know, to audition, they they realize that. Um, yeah, it's not that at all. You have to continually work and you know, you're only as good as your your last gig. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm totally lucky in that I've gotten to do television stuff as well. Um, in between, totally, totally lucky. But I love regional theater too. I love going out of town and doing new shows. Um, you know, the, the, I've gotten to do two awesome brand new shows this year, and you know, hopefully, they'll one of them will come in next season and. We'll see, but that's just what you do is you continually work on stuff and you do workshops and labs mm-hmm. and it's never ending. But do you do you feel it's harder for for comedic women to find roles right now on Broadway? Because I feel like there's a lot of ingenue. It's easy, e- easy, I put in air quotes. Um, you know, it's a weird time now for every actor, I think. Um I genuinely, generally do the supporting roles, um, and those are usually like in a, in a musical. They're usually like the funnier roles, but it's a difficult time because I think they're trying to um, make sure that everything is is equal and diverse, and and I think it's a weird time for everyone kind of navigating uh, who can do what roles. It's always been harder for women, anyway. Mm-hmm. There are just less roles. Um, so that's always going to be difficult. I don't think there's necessarily, I don't think it's harder for comedic women. Um, I think it's harder for comedic women to be seen as anything but comedic women. Mm. Um, and the comedic women are usually the best dramatic actors. It's just how it is. Comedy is so much harder. Well, comedy is harder. Comedy requires more intelligence. And being a bit stereotypical, the, the very funny, funny people that I know are often some of the saddest. Mm-hmm. Totally. Inside. Because they, 100%. they want to be the first to put themselves down so no one else can. Yeah. Yeah. When I was young, I went through this phase of dating comedians and I was like, never again. <laughs> 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 like the most depressed people. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, and Robin Williams is one of the greatest yeah. examples of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it's harder. I think it's just, I think it's difficult in general just to get a job. It's so difficult. And that's what they don't tell you. And some people just, it just falls in their lap. And it did for me. Mm -hmm. It did for me, absolutely. At 17, 18, to be like, here, here's everything. And and I see that happen to, you know, a lot of young people, like on Broadway. Mm -hmm. You know, you win the Jimmy Award and you get to be a lead in the Broadway show. I want to make sure that when they're not in their Broadway show, they go back to get their, <laughs> do a high school show or, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's really important yeah. to go to, go to college and do the college shows. 
because it's just not always going to be like that. Yeah. I've heard tons of stories too from, from people now, actors now in their early 30s who for the last decade, like they, they came out of college and they got, they were one of the lucky few who got a Broadway show straight out of college. Right. And there's an even smaller percentage that got another Broadway show directly, but then they didn't work for years. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do a Broadway show until my 30s because, and, and it's not that, I guess I wasn't living on this coast, but I, even after I won the Olivier, I was up for some very high profile Broadway shows that I didn't get. It just, I'm I'm very specific and I knew that and I knew that it was going to take getting older to kind of grow into what I would end up becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really frustrating and I would fly out here for so much stuff and get so close and, you know, I don't, I don't fit in everything. It's just nobody does. So the right thing came along, but yeah, I had to go to London first to to get <laughs> get a chance to do go a from LA to London to London. Skip over New York completely. Yeah, totally. And then finally, then, yeah. yeah. But then it took British people to get me a Broadway show, and because they had seen <laughs> because they had seen Zorro, right, is how they knew about me at right. all. Right. Um, I'm looking for a tweet. Oh, you tweeted you tweeted last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the picture of that. Really weird, like a dog. I no, I have a thing with um, crap taxidermy. Really awful taxidermy. <laughs> What's that? It what that was? Makes me scream, laugh. I <laughs> cry, laugh at bad taxidermy, and so I'll always find for my reaction memes or whatever bad taxidermy, and that's a terrible taxidermy fox. It was a fox. It was a fox. It looked like it's just a weird exactly dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but the caption was. When you're trying to go to bed early, but your anxiety and raging insecurities are all, hey, batch. <laughs> and it was so true. Like, well, I want to get, this is, okay, so we'll do the therapy part now. Okay. Where do, where do your anxiety and insecurities come from? Do you have a, 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 a moment or is it just general? I mean, it is general a general life? waterfall of anxiety. I think, and I don't think actors or performers or anybody talks about this enough. I feel like it's why I love telling people about bad auditions or about, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you've got to be human. And as an actor, you're always worried about work. You're always worried about, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And you can, people that have like this bravado and and project that, i envious of them, but I guarantee you they're probably just as insecure. And I, I meet people all the time at stage doors or whatever, being like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm good enough to do this. I'm like, I don't think I'm good enough to do this. Nobody thinks they're good enough to do it. You you just have to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it is just raging insecurity all the time. And anxiety, I think if you choose a career in the arts, I think anybody has this. But it's anxiety of, well, you know, what am I going to do <laughs> next? What am I, you know, what's going to happen to me in 20 years? It's, it's all of that. And um, I, I try to live in the moment. It's very hard for me. My brain is always going always going yeah i just assumed you're nervous about this interview so yes absolutely it was. yeah i was like that's why you absolutely. couldn't go to sleep last night but like i i went to bed because i <laughs> ice skate at 6 a.m every morning right yes i wanted to ask you about being <laughs> an ice dancer <gasps> that was my dream uh-huh ice dancer not ice skater ice dancer uh-huh. so an ice dancer i have no idea what that is so i need you to tell me <gasps> but i pictured like you have cleats on and you're just <laughs> dancing on the ice. No. <laughs> like, it's amazing. I'm, I'm going to send you so many YouTubes 
of ice dancers. <laughs> okay. It's amazing. It's like, um, it's, it's I, I, growing up, I, I was an ice skater and, I, and mm-hmm. I either had to choose between being a professional, like going for the Olympics, ice dancer or theater. And this was at like age 12. And I chose theater. It worked out okay. But then just recently I went back to skating just for me. Mm-hmm. And because I'm, I suck at it and I wanted something that had nothing to do with my business to, to work at and yeah. to get better. And it's awesome and I love it. And so I, I like do this class five days a week. At 6 a.m.? Where do you go? Where, Central where is, Park. There's an ice rink in Central there's Park? There's an ice rink in Central Park. Should mm-hmm. I know that? I Wolman, should know that. Woolman Rink. And then I take private lessons at, at the Chelsea Sky Rink. <laughs> I am training for Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> Beijing 2050. <laughs> no, I always say that no Olympics or Olympics 20 never. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. What a, I mean, but what is the difference between ice dancing and ice skating? So ice dancing, there, there really is no difference except that um, ice dancing does not have jumps like axles mm. or um, it doesn't have uh, lifts like pairs, wood, like the, where they throw the girl. Yeah. Um, do you have a partner? Normally in ice dance you do, but there is still a ice dance, which is kind of what I do because I don't really have a partner. But <laughs> why, why, have, why has ice dancing not made it to mainstream like ice skating? Oh, it so has. Has it? Oh, my God. Like, are we oh, going to yeah. see Ice Dancing with the Stars soon? Well, they have it in, in Britain. Shut up. Yeah, it's Dancing with the Stars, but it, it's it's on ice. No I think it's shit. called Dancing on Ice. Um, yeah, they have it over there. It's just, it's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's my it favorite. mainstream, and I've completely missed it my whole life? Did you hear, I mean, the most mainstream, I feel like here, there was this Canadian... Um, my favorite ice dancers are Canadian. They retired, but um, <laughs> it was turned into an ice dance podcast. Um, but they did like a Moulin Rouge routine at this. the Olympics, and it was awesome. And they that kind of like brought it back into the mainstream. Like they were kind of viral for, Wait, for a moment. Ice dancing is at the Olympics? Yeah. Do I not watch enough of the? I watch curling and luging and figure skating. You probably watch Ice Dance. You just didn't realize you're watching Ice Dance. Maybe. You maybe thought it was pears or something. Who's a famous ice dancer that I would have heard of? You wouldn't have. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like not, like the single skaters are, you know, more famous. But, right. but yeah. But yeah, so I skate every day. But go, that's why. So I have to go to bed early, especially if I don't have a show. Right. So last night I was like 9.30. Okay, I'm going to bed. And just sat for two and a half hours just freaking out about everything. Uh, Even if my life is fantastic, everything's going great, I still will have anxiety. I feel like I live in a in a in my own in a bubble. Not in denial. I was gonna say in denial, but I don't think in denial. Where am I going with this? I feel like if my life is bad, then it doesn't get to me. I just shut down. Like that's my it's my defense. That's yeah, coping mechanism. Right. That's okay too. So things are really bad that I'm just like, I guess I'll just go to bed and try again. And so I don't I think that's a great, great way to to do things. What else are you gonna do? You have to get up and and we all do. Like everybody falls down and you just have to try again. There is no alternative. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean there is, but but you know. No, it's just it's just it's weird to me because given, of course, this goes back to your relationship with your parents, mm-hmm. that I wasn't, I didn't have, 
emotional vulnerability modeled for me. Mm -hmm. And so now with my time in therapy and figuring out that like, it's okay to be sad. Oh yeah. I mean, but also I'm Italian, I'm full Italian. So we're just open screaming people (laughs) with everything. Like I'll tell you how I feel at all times to anybody. And I think that's just part of that culture, I feel like, and and also like the family that you grow up with. But yeah, I mean, got to get things out. Yeah. Well, okay. So my question then, like, if it's something in general, like, did you, did growing up at the cattle ranch, <laughs> you're like, oh man, there's all this anxiety of all these cows out here. No, I didn't. I, I had no anxiety until I was older. Really? Yeah. Until I was older. And do you remember, do you remember when you first started realizing like, oh, this is, an, this is causing me problems or I need to talk about this? Um. You know, it was it was all during um, those days at Fame LA that really like a doubt started also to like creep in. Yeah, late teens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Doubt started to creep in, and and the first time I ever thought, well, maybe I maybe I'm not going to be a big old star. Maybe you know, maybe because somebody this executive told me I was ugly. Like uh, those things. Someone actually said that. Oh, to my face. But you're not. But but some somebody somewhere is going to think something about you, and they're going to say it. And, and and as an actor, it's like those message boards that I hate. At least say it to my face. People are always going to tear other people down, sadly. Mm-hmm. And it's how you deal with it that is the most important thing. But I didn't have those tools that young. So when somebody said, well, she's the fat one. She can't be in this number. To Have the other three girls do this sexy number. When you're that age and somebody says that to you, I didn't have the tools because I was always brought up to believe that I could do anything. And so instead of, and it took me a long time to be like, well, screw you. Now I would. But then it really made me um, start to doubt myself. And so that's kind of where like insecurities came in. And I'm, 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 I'm good at fighting them, but sometimes they just creep in and, you know, and you're staring like the taxidermy fox. Sometimes <laughs> that's such a creepy. I think it's so so important for people to talk about it. Absolutely, there's no shame. There's no everybody is goes through. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. <laughs> oh god! Even when you know people look up to these. Oh, you're on Broadway. Everything must be perfect. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> there, no. you know, most people on Broadway are wondering, how am I here? How am I here? What's my next job? What you know, like it's 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 never ending, and I mean, that, that's okay. That's what, yeah, that's what that's what I would be. I would I would like I'd be doing a curtain call as like the lead after winning a Tony, and be like, did they make a mistake? There are people who win Tonys that are never heard of from again. It doesn't yeah. matter. It just nothing. You have to stay on your own path, and that's like very important to me. And and things that I struggle with looking at other people, what they're doing and, and how far along they are, it has nothing to do with me. Right. I have to remember that. And that kind of keeps the anxiety a little bit at bay. Hmm. Do, do you go back? Um, I mean, are you working enough now so you don't have to have, you know, we'll put in air quotes, survival jobs? Yes. Like, you're not going to go back and wait tables. I, you know what? I, I, I'm so lucky. I've never waited tables. I've only ever had performing jobs. And that is incredibly rare. Yeah. Um, again, though, LA, all those theme parks. Um, so I've, I've been incredibly, incredibly lucky and I totally realize that. Um, no, I, I have not had a survival job in, in um, a long time, but I, you know, 
again, I spent a lot of time going out of town doing regional theater because mm-hmm. that's what you do as an actor. It's not all about Broadway. And I think for me, having been an LA theater person for so long, it was it was really like it made me angry when people would be like, oh, you do theater in Los Angeles. I'm like, those people are the best people I've ever performed with because they're choosing to be in Los Angeles. Some of the best shows come out of La Jolla. Completely. Which is in San Diego. And so it when I got here and people were like, where have you been? I'm like, I've been working my whole life in in not just TV, but in theater and on the other coast. So <laughs> Broadway's just a street. And I keep and Tom Hewitt actually said that to me. Do you know Tom Hewitt? The great mm-hmm. Tom Hewitt. Um, I did Kiss Me Kate with him in Los Angeles. And I had not, um, I had done London, but I had not done a Broadway show. And he said that to me. He goes, Broadway's just a street. And that stayed with me. And I was like, he's so right. Because it didn't, when I finally did get my Broadway debut, I, I was so happy and I wept. But then I remember the next week, I was like, it's no different than doing a show in Orange County. It's the same thing. It's just... People put more importance on it. Yeah, work is work is work is work is work. They don't have the the Tony Awards of Orange County. <laughs> well, they kind of do. <laughs> well, not televised. Did you, like, know, do you know Japan? Like they they get a telecast of the Tonys. Do they really? Yeah, oh. Japan loves the Tony wow. Awards. They love Broadway. Wow. Actually, you right. know, I, I make a joke. It's like I'm huge in Japan. This podcast is actually I get a lot of streams <gasps> from Japan. Nice. Hi, Japan. Yeah. Hi. Hello. Konnichiwa. Hello, Japan. Konnichiwa. I guess we should talk about Emoji Land. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to Emoji Land. <laughs> yeah, how did you get connected with it? Well, so uh, Tom Caruso, the director, was the associate on Matilda. And I just love him. And I had done another nymph show for him called Matthew McConaughey versus the Devil, which was... <laughs> Amazing <laughs> and so freaking funny. And so he brought Emoji Land to me. He said, I'm doing this show and, and you're the only person that, that can do this. And he goes, it's the princess. And I was like, oh, done, <laughs> done. And um, so I did, because I will always do Nymph. I think it's so important to do up and coming people's work. If you have the time and and I just think it's so important. Um, and so I loved the music. I loved this show. And I love this character. It's, I mean, and my, you know, like my kind of like, I call myself queen, like it's, it's, it's a joke, but to, to be able to be like, oh my God, I'm playing the freaking princess emoji. Um, I, it was a no brainer for me. So I did it at Nymph and loved it. And, and just people were like, oh my God, this is really great. And kind of kept tabs on, on Keith and Laura because um, they're from LA and we have so many mutual friends and I knew that they were kind of working on stuff and, then a few months ago, um, Tom, I was talking to Tom and he said, guess what's coming back around? And he told me Emoji Land, he said that they want to do an off-Broadway production. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Well, if that happens, I'm I'm totally in. Um, and I like, amazingly, it is like perfect in schedule-wise for me to mm-hmm. do it. And I just, am, I'm so excited about it because it's so funny it's touching it's so smart and the music is so kick-ass it's really great i'm looking forward to it i didn't see the nymph production um oh my god I, 
I'm so excited for it. I haven't been this excited for a show in a really long time. So are, are you are you West Coast based or live both? In New York My husband now? lives in LA, and I go back and forth. Oh, really? So yeah, I moved out here for Matilda six years ago, right. and um, was like, oh, I'll just be here a year. And now I just go back and forth. So I'll go go back. I go back to LA, and luckily get to go back and do television stuff in yeah. Los Angeles. And and um, and the, but I've been here, yeah. So back and forth. Is that is that hard on your husband to be apart? Or no. you too? No? We we've always done that. We I was in London for I didn't see him for three months before we got married. My mom had to like finish the wedding planning. It was a giant Italian wedding. <laughs> and I found out I was going to London yeah. because they didn't equity wouldn't exchange me because I was a nobody. And so they didn't I was the only American that went over there. So finally I found out last minute I was going. Three months I would had been touring. <laughs> Because we toured Zorro before we did the West End to kind of work out the kinks. So toured, came home, got married, left, I don't know, a week later to go back to London and open it on the West End. And and that was the first two years of our marriage was me in London and him in L.A. So we're we're really used to it. And when we met, I was on tour. Like, it just has always been that way. Um, So we're really great at it. And it makes the time together that much more special. Oh, you know, you know, you like you miss the person. We've been married now almost twelve years. Yeah. So it's like it just really it, it, it's yes, you miss them, but thankfully there's FaceTime and you know I can see his face. Yes. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just call and he'll be at work and I'll just look at his face. We look like keep working. <laughs> I used to. I used to. Uh, my best friend from from high school and college, like before, fate. I guess before internet. Well, I was. Right when internet, broadband, and everything. But when we were, first time we lived apart, we would just call each other, and he and I would just like sit on the phone for hours. And we'd both be doing our own thing, like playing on the computer or doing whatever. And like we'd be, oh, yes, awesome, blah, 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 blah. And then, yeah. And we come back, oh, yeah, we're still. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah, Yeah, when I was in London, it was Skype. FaceTime hadn't, wasn't there yet. Yeah. Um, Skype with like the little camera on your computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, it works out. It works out really well, and he is very supportive and knows that this was my dream to to be in New York. And, is he a muggle? He's a muggle. Yeah, he's a muggle. But he gets it. He did theater in in high school and college, and so like he gets it. But it's really nice to go see a show with somebody who'd probably rather be watching the football game. There's something very freeing in that. And when he sees shows of mine, it's never. He's never like, oh my God, you are just, well, it's never overflowing. It's like, good job. It's very sports. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, good it's, game. Good game. It good is game. very much yeah. like that. And, and, um, like any injuries that I've had has been, has been very like sports talk. And there's something I really like about that. It took me a while because I was like, why are you not like my, my gay fans that are like, you're the most amazing thing? And he was like, <laughs> it's just not what he is. And he's, it's, I don't know. It's really kind of, it's really cool. Where where do you get that? Where do you get your validation from? It has to be from me, and that took a really really long time. Really, it has to be because there's so much noise on the internet now of people telling you what you are, what they think you are. You have to like shut it down, um, because, and I said this before, somebody somewhere will think you suck. It's just how it is. Always. So. Once you realize that, it kind of takes the pressure off, and it takes the pressure off of everyone has to like me in in this role. Everyone has to like me as a person, 
and it's just really if I like what I'm doing. Um, I don't read reviews anymore. At the last like three or four years, I've been really, really adamant about not reading reviews. And people will, I can always tell if they're good or bad just by people's reactions. But um, after Dames at Sea, because I loved that show and people loved that show and the critics just tore it apart because they didn't get it. They didn't understand how in a year of Hamilton, this this little six-person musical could exist. And it was comparing it to those shows instead mm-hmm. of judging it on its own merit. And after it really broke my heart and I was like, I can't, because it, it tarnished how much I loved doing the show and how much we loved doing it as as that little company. It really kind of tarnished that and I decided after that I was not going to let somebody's opinion dictate how I felt about my job or how I felt about what I was doing. Um, because in the end, it's it's the audience, how they feel about it, not some jackass on a message board. You know, it just, it, I have to, I just had to do it with all of it. Even like the Times reviews, like I can't. I, I respect them, but I just can't read it. I don't understand why why people. Well, maybe it's a generational thing. Because remember, like Siskel and Ebert, right? They had a TV show where they basically yeah. could make or break a movie. Yeah, and it's very similar in 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 theater now, and that's their job. That's fine. It, but everybody's a critic now. Everybody's an armchair critic. I in my cabaret show, I find. I well, my director finds, and then I she finds the funny ones. People what they write about me on the internet on message boards, and I read them, and they're awful, but so awful that they're funny. Um, but but she finds them and, and reads them. But I read them because I'm like, a this is not your job. B you're probably 13. I don't know. You know, it just is. It, it's that stuff that. And I talk about stuff like that and, and shutting out the noise. Mm-hmm. But that's anybody's job, you know? Again, somebody's going to think you suck. Somebody yeah. does. But it's uh, it's very hard. Some people can read reviews and not care. Genuinely not care. Although, I'm not sure it's genuine. They, they, they say it doesn't get to them. But I just I just can't do it personally. I don't, yeah, I don't—, I don't it, It's not the— it's not the fact that one person said something bad. I think for me, it's that now my mind starts just escalating down this path of, well, if 10 people believe this yeah. and then they tell 10 more people, then it's just totally, all, you'll drive it's all going to go downhill. Yeah. Like I don't care specifically that that one person didn't like me. Yeah. It's, the, it's the societal amplification <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that drives me up. Yeah. It drives me up the wall. Yeah. So, Yeah. Anxiety. Ain't it fun? Anxiety. That's a good podcast. Ain't it fun? <laughs> Anxiety. Ain't it fun? <laughs> but I think, you know, dealing with, with stuff like that is is you got to find what works for you. Yeah. For me, I got to stay away from that stuff. Yeah. And and it's just, it's, but that's been like years of <laughs> spiraling and crying over <laughs> stuff, you know. And finally, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I stopped. There's, there's videos of me on YouTube all over the place, and I'm just like, I just got to stop. I got to stop reading this. I got to stop caring. And now I'm at the point, I, it's funny, Desi Oakley and I got into this pretty <laughs> hardcore, that uh, both of us, we're, we don't care what people think. I don't care what people think about me, 
but I want everyone to like me. <laughs> totally. And that's that, that's our society now. You, yeah. you literally get likes on a picture that you post or right. something that you write or, you know, and, and that is that is literally what's happening. And you can gauge, I think people gauge their lives off of, oh God, nobody liked this tweet. Oh, oh, I'm a terrible person. And it, you have to like divorce yourself from that. You, you have to. funny on social media. I love it. I love it. But I, and I think, I think people connect with it because I'm open and, and honest. I mean, there are times my husband's like, will you please not tweet about your bikini wax? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, but I love it because I, I like showing the other part of it. I like showing the things that happen to be that aren't so great. Right. I think that's, it brings people together. I, I, I love that stuff. So people's perfect social media presences. I just, I couldn't do that. You're, you reply to people a lot. So you're, you're actively engaged. Oh yeah. And you have to read it. How do you ignore the bad stuff? I'm really, you, you know what's so funny? You, stay away from you know what's that? so funny is since I, people know that I read the bad comments on like message boards and things, it's been like my, my, my best friend directs my cabaret show and we've noticed, we were like, people aren't writing things anymore because they know that we're going to take it and read it. <laughs> so luckily <laughs> hasn't been that bad. Um, tweet like uh, Twitter, you know what? I, people, <laughs> I will retweet people who say horrible things to me and call them out on it because that is very important. Yeah. People are not accountable on social media. And so I will hold you accountable and most often they'll just delete their tweet or people will go after them because, and you need to learn. And I don't, and I've got, I've come under fire a couple times for going after like a teenager, mm-hmm. but you need to learn. You cannot say horrible things to people in this world, in this time, you need to be accountable. So if people say something terrible to me and I'm lo- very lucky and I mean, I don't have like giant followings, but I'm very lucky with the people that don't say horrible things to me, but I'll call you out 100%. Yeah, I think you should. It, it's not not for a vengeful thing, just for like shining a spotlight. Mm-hmm. And be like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. And what's interesting <laughs> to me is I've got two small kids and part of the educational curriculum now is learning how to become a good online citizen. Oh, that's so important. Yeah, which it a really lot of it is, is how to and, interact. Yeah. People are angry now. People are so angry. So many people. And now they have a platform to be angry on. They have multiple platforms to be angry on. And everybody's offended by everything. As a comedian, comic person, it's really difficult to be funny these days because somebody's going to be offended by it. You know, I grew up on Mel Brooks movies. You can't. You can't. <laughs> you couldn't do that now? You can't. And, and it's sad mm-hmm. because we've lost the ability to laugh at ourselves. You know, um, that's why I love the South Park guys because they just don't care. No. Um, and I think you ha- we've lost, I really do feel that we've lost that ability to laugh at ourselves and just not everything has to be offensive. Just let it roll off your back. I mean, but if something is truly bothering you, call those people out or talk about it. But maybe let's not rush to anger right away because that's, the other part of social media is just people just ranting and ranting. So I think that's really important for young people to learn to just, A, be good people, but then also be a good online person as well. 
someone told me that it's it's assuming good intent. Mm-hmm. So everyone's is there's obviously two sides to every story. Or, way to do it, or yeah. more than two. And if you are offended by something somebody did or said, mm-hmm. ass- look at it again, but assume good intent mm-hmm. and talk to them about it. Absolutely. Because you may have interpreted it in a way that they, they didn't even mean it. Maybe maybe you t- interpreted it exactly how they meant it, yeah. in which case they're kind of a dick. Absolutely, yeah. But otherwise, it saved me from a lot of conflicts. I'm like, oh, 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 hmm. Okay, yeah. well, maybe they didn't mean this. I'm just going to ask. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. So it was like they, there was one word missing that added all the context. Right. Well, Tim Minchin has like a genius song called Context <laughs> that is literally <laughs> that. And it's, you know, he, it, I just think art in general, and I'm, I'm not an arty person by any means. So the fact that I just said art in general makes me want to throw up. But <laughs> I think it's really hard in what we do in this time. I think it's really difficult to make everybody happy. Yeah. You know, classic musicals now are have to be re, redone and and there's I don't really know how I feel about all of that, you know. I don't um I think things are just uh, you can't go back and change what's already happened. You can only move forward. So then don't do those shows. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You don't have to go back and rip them apart. Just maybe write something new like Lynn did, you know, and mm-hmm. and and I think I think it's just think it's difficult, but especially like comedy these days is really hard. Yeah, well, you can't. Yeah, you can't make fun of things. <laughs> I mean, Seth Meyers gets away with just you know he's it's all dad humor now, which I think right. is right. awesome. You know, everybody can commiserate. Yeah, <laughs> most people can commiserate. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's hard, and I think you want to talk about like reading bad things. Comedians, they they oh, got to yeah. they take it left and right. Yeah, they got to take right. it. You got to ignore yeah. it and. Oh, God, yeah. it's... But what's, going back to Emoji Land, what's so great about, I can't wait for you to see it, because what is so great about this show is it is 100% dealing with all of these issues under the guise of cute emojis, mm-hmm. 100%. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a firewall that's built to keep out different <laughs> emojis. <laughs> Different color emojis, mm-hmm. same sex emojis. Mm. Um, you know, it, it and it is really dealing with all of these issues, um, and so I think it's really, really important and valid. <laughs> um, and I love that it's under this umbrella of oh, cute emoji land because you'll leave and you'll be like, oh, I, I just got schooled. Yeah. <laughs> It's re- it's really special, so I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm sure people are going to be talking about stuff after. Yeah, I don't want to give it away, but all right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's use that to transition mm-hmm. into our three standard closing questions <laughs> that I ask everyone to wrap up the podcast. Mm-hmm. The first one is, what motivates you? Hmm. What motivates me? I think it is kind of what we were just talking about. What motivates me is is trying to make wherever I am a little better than when I left it. If that, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I, just being a good person and making a mark, whether that is professionally, but more importantly, personally, 
it motivates me that I, I would like to make a positive mark mm-hmm. wherever I am. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh, your path is not going to be the path that you thought it was. And it's going to be sometimes better, sometimes way worse, but it is your path. And it is exactly the path you're supposed to be on. Just go with the detours. (laughs) Go with the detours, (laughs) wear comfortable shoes, (laughs) and don't look at the map. I don't think there's a map. You're going to have to throw it out, yeah. I had a map. I think everyone has a map when you're starting out. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. (laughs) And then the final question is, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Fantasmic in Disney World or Disneyland. Oh, yeah, you're such a Disney nut. Totally. Disney Star Wars nut. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, if it's a live show, yeah, there's something about those live shows at Disney that make me so happy. It just, uh, my, I, yeah. So I would see that. I know that that's not arty, whatever. Musicals, there isn't one that I'd want to see over and over and over again. Oh, you had your answer. That's, that's yeah. fine. No, that was my, my, I'm going with my gut. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So everyone, get tickets to Emoji Land. Emoji Land. We Do, open January 9th. January uh, January 9th through March 8th, uh-huh. yes, at the Duke on 42nd Street. Yeah. So dukeon42.org is where you can go online and get tickets. And you are on Instagram and Twitter at Queen Leslie, L-E-S-L-I. No E. Thanks, that's Mom. Right. Oh, man. She messed up. That, that's anxiety right there. That's anxiety. Are people going to spell my name right? I mean, my name is Leslie Margarita. Like, that's a porn name if I've ever heard one. I mean, I get that all the time. Is that your stage? I'm like, why would I name myself Leslie Margarita? (laughs) With an I. It's like Bambi. It's like Leslie. Candy. (laughs) You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Support this podcast at theaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. I am on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music you are hearing right now. And Leslie Margarita, my co-porn star. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you. I have to say, you are such a beautiful, beautiful person. Oh, thanks. All around. That's all I want. You are. And I hope everyone sees that. And whoever that executive was, screw that guy. Yeah, and I don't think he's working anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.